Hey there, and welcome to the Brave Marriage Podcast. I'm Kinsey Dazinski, a licensed marriage and family therapist and certified professional coach, and this is a podcast for couples who want to grow as individuals, do marriage with intention, and live mutually empowered, purposeful lives. This May marks the 70th year of Mental Health Awareness Month, and so we're going to spend the next four weeks talking about how to become more self-aware, how to better identify our thoughts, and how to relate better as a result. Now, I'll bet that as soon as you read the title of this episode, each of you listening probably reacted differently. Maybe you were excited about a mental health conversation, or maybe you decided to listen but thought, you know, I'll listen, but this really isn't for me. Wherever you landed, here's my question to you. Are you a human? (laughs) If you answered yes, then being mindful of your mental health is relevant and important for you too. I'll explain why here in a minute. But first, let me set you up with a little story of my own. This morning, the day of recording, I was reflecting on April and planning for the month of May and suddenly felt a little overwhelmed. And admittedly, I gave in to my overwhelm for a moment or two until I became mindful of my emotion and what thoughts were contributing to it. So a few of my thoughts pertain to the fact that my husband, Evan, and I are in the middle of selling our house by owner. And the good news is, it's all happening very quickly. And the stressful news is, it's all happening very quickly. On top of that, Evan gave me a little scare when we ended up in the emergency room over the weekend. Now, before you worry, everything is completely fine. But I just wanted to give you a sense of my headspace as of late. Now, you might be thinking, okay, yeah, I can see why you felt a little overwhelmed. Or you might be thinking, are you kidding? That's nothing compared to what's going on in my life right now. Either way, what I want you to know is, my circumstances didn't cause my feeling of overwhelm. It was my mental process, my thoughts about my circumstances, that led to that emotion. And guess what? Once I took a step back to observe my own mind, and name my emotions, the feeling of overwhelm dissipated and I was able to move on productively about my day. I share that to say that being aware of your own mental health applies to everyone, even mental health professionals, right? (laughs) And I would argue even more so. One of the things I've learned from clients over the years is the before and after contrast between their initial lack of understanding of their own mental health and their satisfaction with their lives and relationships afterward, after becoming more self-aware. In fact, I've had clients on the follow-up survey I send out say things like, before therapy, I didn't even realize that I could change the way that I was thinking. I just thought that I felt what I felt and that my evaluation of every situation was accurate. I didn't realize I could learn to let things go or enjoy my life more just by changing my thought patterns. And I get it. Very few of us are taught that paying attention to our mental health can serve us, just as taking care of our physical health or investing in healthy relationships can serve us. But why is this? What's the holdup with accepting mental health as not only important, but a game changer for the quality of our lives and relationships? Well, in order to help you understand that, I'm going to give the briefest history of mental health in America that I possibly can, okay? I promise it'll be brief. 
But before I do, I want to let you know that this episode is brought to you by my free research-based relationship quiz. Have you ever wanted a professional insider's look at your relationship? Well, I've created a short quiz that lets you in on the state of your relationship based on four different components of marital health. After taking the quiz, you'll receive an immediate score, plus a description of your score will be sent straight to your inbox, followed by one action step, next steps to take, and one prayer for your marriage. To get in on that free resource, just visit bravemarriage.com quiz. Again, that's bravemarriage.com quiz. Okay, so you may not know that mental health as a field and profession has only been around since the early 1900s, and my license as a marriage and family therapist has only been around since the 1940s. That's not even two full generations ago, which should help clue you in to the generational disparity we often see between our view and attitude toward mental health and our grandparents' or even our parents' view of mental health, right? Because while Sigmund Freud was inventing psychoanalysis and charging the societal elite for talk therapy around the turn of the 20th century in Austria, psychiatrists and social workers in America were aiming their efforts at better conditions for those who were being treated for severe psychiatric illnesses in the early 1900s. And why that's important is because mental health treatment wasn't aimed at the masses early on. It was aimed at both ends of the socioeconomic spectrum. So when I think about it like that, it makes sense to me that there's still a stigma attached to mental health among older generations, as well as those in more rural contexts. On the other hand, even though there are some who are still catching up, it's actually quite incredible just how much information has been disseminated in as few as 70 years regarding the importance of mental health for everyone. So, whether you're 20 or 60 years old listening to this podcast, and thank you both for being here, by the way, your mental health matters. Now, when I say mental health, I'm referring to your ability to lead your mind and emotions, rather than being led by them, as well as your capacity to form and maintain healthy relationships with others. So let's talk about those two things one at a time. First is your ability to lead your mind and emotions rather than being led by them. Whether you realize it or not, each of us has been entrusted with a heart, a soul, a mind, and body with which God commands us to love him fully. But here's the problem. We can't love God with all of our heart if we're unattuned to its condition. We can't love him with all of our soul if we're not actively caring for it. We can't love God with all of our minds if we're not conscious about what we're putting into it or if we're unaware of our own thought patterns. And lastly, we can't love him with all of our strength if we're not treating our bodies as the temples of the Holy Spirit that they are, right? And full disclosure, that last one is especially convicting for me. But is this making sense to you? Just because our mental health is intangible doesn't mean we're any less responsible for stewarding it well. So when I talk about guiding and directing your mind and emotions, I'm not just giving you some psychobabble or self-help rhetoric and telling you to manifest whatever you want in life, okay? Just so we're clear on that. I'm talking about stewarding the gift of your mental capacity according to his will, not our own, so that he gets the glory for how our lives, marriages, and relationships play out. 
Now, I want to briefly discuss three ways to improve your mental health, and I'll list them out easiest to hardest. Number one, we can gain tools for our mental health toolbox, whether that be coping strategies, stress management techniques, or other resources. To this day, I think the most important class I've ever taken was Stress Management 101. It was a whole semester on various stress management techniques such as deep breathing, meditation, progressive muscle relaxation, and using various sensory inputs to self-soothe or improve your mood on the spot, like music or essential oils, things of that nature. And maybe more than the techniques themselves, what I took from that class is that it's my responsibility to care for my mental health, to self-soothe, to practice self-care and soul care. This, by the way, is an aspect of what you've heard me refer to before as differentiation of self, which served me really well in marriage because I had zero expectations of Evan to take care of my emotional state for me. Anyway, quickly, the organization that runs the Mental Health Awareness Campaign has a lot of great tools and resources on their website right now, so I'll link that in the show notes. Number two, we can change up our lifestyles. I remember sitting in an introductory psych class learning about type A personalities, which tend to be more high-strung and ambitious, versus type B personalities, which tend to be more relaxed and laid back. So I'm sitting in my college class looking at my textbook and thinking, well, great. I'm definitely type A, and the research is showing that I will be twice as likely to experience stress-related illness, such as heart disease, than my type B counterparts. And as I zone back in to listen to the lecture, I hear my professor say, so it will be important for those of you who are type A to take proactive measures to manage your stress. And so, I have. I've paid attention to my stress levels and mental health over the past 10 years. And here are some of the lifestyle changes I've made during that time, which have significantly impacted my mental health and well-being. I eliminated certain foods from my diet that were negatively impacting my energy levels and mental clarity. I actively limit the number of clients I see per week so as to give each and every couple my best. And most recently, I've taken a break from social media. And for me, These three lifestyle changes, more than any others I've tried to make, have yielded observably significant improvements in my mental, emotional, and subsequently relational health. And number three, we can start paying attention to our own thought patterns and begin to become more self-aware. So, like I said, I've listed these easiest to hardest. The first two ways involve changing up your behavior or your circumstances in order to better manage stress, which can often compound mental health issues if there are any. That is, until we learn how to implement this third point, paying attention to our thought patterns so that we can learn to think differently. Because as I said at the beginning of this episode, when I had that feeling of slight overwhelm as I looked over my planner, It wasn't my circumstances that caused my emotion. It was my thoughts about that circumstance that did. Now, when I use this language, I'm drawing from cognitive behavioral therapy. And if after explaining this, you think it'd be helpful to you, I'd recommend Googling CBT counselors in your area, because in my experience, the only outcome of good counseling 
is you feeling more empowered and healthy. But here's how it works, at least how I teach it to my clients. Our emotions provide us with feedback. Feedback that lets us know what's going on in our minds and what thoughts just ran through it, which led to our feeling a particular emotion. And initially, we're often not even aware of our own self-talk because it's so habitual that we don't even notice. But once you do start becoming more self-aware, what you'll begin to notice are patterns or themes that run all throughout your thought life. And those thought patterns are often distorted in some areas. Unless, of course, you'd say you're someone who's full of grace, self-compassion, and empathy for yourself. And here's the deal. Here's why this third one is so important for your marriage. Often, an unintended consequence of unchecked, distorted thinking is selfishness or self-absorption. Cognitive distortions have a way of skewing our perception, trusting our emotions when we shouldn't, and sabotaging our relationships. And if a crucial part of our mental health is our capacity to form and maintain healthy relationships with others, then it's critical that we become more self-aware and learn to notice our thoughts so that, like I said before, we can learn to lead and guide our minds and emotions rather than being led or swayed by them. And once we begin to pay more attention to our own minds, the only real outcome of that sort of self-awareness is humility. And according to a number of research studies, humility is correlated with higher levels of self-worth, self-control, and empathy, all of which are essential traits of individuals in healthy, loving, and intimate relationships. And that, my friends, is the very reason why the mission of Brave Marriage is to help couples grow as individuals and do marriage with intention. So this is where we're headed over the next three weeks. We are going to talk about three common cognitive distortions that many of us have experienced and that I often see in my office. I want to help you learn how to step back from your own mind and emotions and begin to see them more objectively. And taking a look at three primary cognitive distortions will be a concrete way we can do that. Because all of us have areas of our mental health that we could stand to be more aware of, and the degree to which we are will determine whether our thought patterns remain incidental in our marriages or become pervasive heart issues that keep us from growing up and growing together. So I hope you'll show up next week. I have so, so much to share with you. And your action step between now and then is to check out the linked resources that I've included in the show notes and choose one thing that you could personally do this week from this episode to prioritize your mental health. And I'd love for all of us to be praying this prayer this week from Psalm 139. Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts. See if there be any grievous way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. I'll talk to you all next week. Bye-bye. Love is not a battle Love is not a bond Love is just as fragile